Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Robbinsville. Thank you for joining us. We trust that the teaching of God's Word will speak to you. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, tech team, uh, for, for making that happen. Uh, I really like that last song. Thank you. Well, my name is Ethan Ramsey. If you're new here, you may not recognize me, especially standing up here. I'm the youth pastor at First Baptist, and occasionally I'm in the sermon rotation as well. Uh, So this morning, we are continuing our series on wisdom for the family. And if you were here last week, you, you heard a message on marriage and how God has designed marriage. We are actually continuing that idea today as well. Uh, But before we dive into scripture and and really address this topic this morning, I just going to be candid with you. As uh, somebody that creates sermons, right, and and is looking for illustrations, this topic of marriage is actually really great because there is so much to choose from for illustrations. Most of them are are jokes, which is okay, Uh, but there's just like a wealth of illustrations to pick from. So take, for example, the story of Bill and Susan. Bill and Susan were this old Christian New England couple, and uh, man, they were in church every time the doors were open. They'd been married several decades. They were just like the epitome of like the church couple, right? They're in the doors every day. They're always at Sunday school. They serve in the choir. They do Bible studies. They pray every day. Uh, But the problem with Bill and Susan is that they just couldn't get along with each other. I mean, every, every time they were home, it was a fight. They were constantly bickering and fussing, and they just couldn't get along. And after a long time of this, one morning, Bill and Susan were doing their devotion separately, of course. Uh, and, and afterwards, Susan approaches Bill, and she says, You know, Bill, I think I finally have the solution to all this trouble that we've been going through. And he says, All right, Susan, let's hear it. What do you have? She says, I think we just need to pray for the Lord to go ahead and take one of us home. And then... I'll go live with my sister. (laughs) Now, there's a lot of jokes about marriage. The reality is marriage is the butt of a lot of jokes. Some of them are funny and and told in good faith. Others reveal this issue that Ben highlighted last week for us. It's this issue that that culture, our society sees marriage as this kind of broken, uh, not good picture. Right, the, the, Ben addressed last week, if you were here, we, we looked at Ephesians 5, and he talked about how our culture, our society has taken marriage, which God intended to be this beautiful picture for us to enjoy, and brokenness and sin and, and the culture around us has taken it and distorted the picture and has made something beautiful into something that appears ugly to a lot of our culture. And so last week, Ben walked us through Ephesians 5 and how we can restore this beautiful picture that God has created for us in marriage. Now, this week, like I said, is an extension of that idea. But if last week looked more at like the the doctrine, more at the process of how to do this, of how a marriage is supposed to function, today we get to look at a living, breathing example of this type of marriage lived out. What's interesting in Scripture, though, is that we don't have a whole lot of examples of Christian marriages just covering the pages of Scripture. We know Peter was married, but his wife doesn't really come into the scene a whole lot throughout Scripture. 
In fact, when we talk about biblical marriages, there's typically only one couple that really comes to mind, and it's the couple that we're going to focus on this morning. Their names are Priscilla and Aquila. Now, maybe you've heard of them. If you haven't, that's okay. They actually don't take up a lot of real estate in the New Testament. Uh, you see more snapshots of their lives. So they're mentioned in the book of Acts, and then Paul will reference them a few times in some of his epistles to the churches. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at these snapshots into Priscilla and Aquila's lives. We're going to see where they were at different stages of their marriage, how God was using them and growing their marriage, and then what it means for us. So before we dive into this scripture, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this morning. We thank you, uh, Lord, just to worship together. Father, we, we recognize your word has wisdom for us that impacts our daily life. And God, we thank you for the examples that you provide of couples who illustrate, who, who are living examples of what it looks like to live a life on mission for you together, to live a life that is speaking to the beauty of marriage as you intended it. God, we recognize as we talk about these ideals that, that we all fall short in some way or another, but Lord, we pray the focus won't be on our, our shortcomings, but on the vision that you have given us. Father, that we would continually seek to pursue you each and every day, even after mistakes, even after uh, we, we fall short sometimes, that that would never be the focus, but simply your love for us and the calling that you have given us. Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we go through these snapshots of Priscilla and Aquila's life, recognize every Christian marriage is described to some extent with one of these points that we have. We're going to have four points this morning. Everybody fits into one of these points. So my challenge to you is as we go through this, really be evaluating where you are in your marriage. Where does the Lord have you? What is he trying to get you to see and teach you and use you right now with where you are? This morning, we are going to start in Acts chapter 18, Acts 18, verses 1 through 4, and I invite you, if you're able and willing, please stand with me for the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible word. Starting in verse 1 of Acts chapter 18, we read, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he, Paul, came to them. So, he was of the same so because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. So there's a few things. <clears throat> you may be seated. Thank you. So there's a few things that stand out to us about Priscilla and Aquila from this passage. The first is a little bit of history for you. They evidently lived in Rome before they had come to Corinth. And the emperor Claudius, at one point, there, there was so much trouble going on in the city of Rome. And it was blamed on the Jews that they were causing all this disruption. They were, they were uh, stopping peace from happening in the city. And so Claudius eventually has enough. And he says, you know what? All the Jews that are in Rome have to leave. You have to get out because you're the problem. And so Priscilla and Aquila were 
uh, victims of that expulsion. And so they leave, they go to Corinth. We see that their job is as tent makers. This would have been a great role for a couple that had to be traveling frequently because as a tent maker, you could go to whatever town uh, you, were, you wanted to go to, you were led to go to, and you would have business right away. Everybody needed the canvas, right? So, so they were able to kind of pick up their lives and be very mobile when they needed to. We also see here that Priscilla and Aquila worked together in this profession. Now, I might lose some of you right there as you think, boy, I can't imagine like working all day with my spouse and then coming home with my spouse, right? But just hang with me here. That's not the main focus. The main focus here is on the values that led Priscilla and Aquila, the the values that they operated by. Because in 1 Corinthians, we see here that Paul comes to Corinth and he just finds them and, and they open up their home to Paul. Now, can you just think of the tension that would arise in your marriage if you went out to Ingalls or something and you come home and your spouse says, oh, hey, honey, uh, by the way, I found this missionary in Robbinsville and they're looking for a place to stay and I told them they could crash on our couch indefinitely. That, that might create a little bit of tension in your marriage if you weren't on the same page together. So what we see is that Priscilla and Aquila had a vision for their marriage that they knew this is how we're going to operate. These are the principles that are going to guide our home and guide the way that we live and interact with people. And we are going to open up our home to missions. Paul was with them for, well, he was in Corinth for a year and a half. So you have to imagine he's probably with them for that amount of time in their home. And you can think, while that is a big decision to open up your home for that long, for, for a missionary to come in and live with you, think about what these two learned under Paul. I mean, could you imagine the conversations that would have taken place over the dinner table every night? Maybe they would hear Paul teach in the synagogue and they would just pepper him with questions for hours on end in the night. I mean, what did their spiritual growth look like during this time? This would have been amazing. And and what is so special about Priscilla and Aquila, this wasn't like the, the men go off into the side room and the woman's left to like clean up the table or whatever. This is Priscilla and Aquila learning together, growing in lockstep together as they seek to follow Jesus. What a blessing this would have been for their home. And so we can look at Priscilla and Aquila's time in Corinth and we could summarize it with one word, equipping. God was seeking to equip Priscilla and Aquila while they were in Corinth. It would have been easy as they had to leave Rome to feel like everybody had forgotten about them, like they were just discarded as a people. And yet what we see is God intentionally leading them to Corinth, intentionally bringing Paul to their home, who just happened to be a tent maker as well, right? And to equip them in their marriage. And the reality for us is we, as we take our focus from Priscilla and Aquila and look to us today, the same is true. God desires to equip every marriage for his missional focus for our lives, And so what we can learn from this, this equipping of Priscilla and Aquila, it's a challenge for us to develop a mission for your marriage. Now, I know when we got married, like nobody sat down. It's like, man, I can't wait to sit down with you and develop this mission that we're going to have as we get married, right? We don't typically think in those terms. That's okay. But what we do see is that God does. When God put you together with your spouse, he had a vision and a purpose for your marriage. And he wants to equip you to live out that purpose. And that's what we see with Priscilla and Aquila. That's 
on the table for us as well. But it starts with you and your spouse coming together and becoming united in a vision for your family. So I would just encourage you, if you've never thought in those terms before, if you've never had those conversations this week, take time, pray together, read together, and come back together and talk about what what vision do you want to have for your marriage? What missional focus might the Lord be leading you to have in your home? As a part of this, I would encourage you, find a mentor. Find a husband and wife who have been through the ups and downs before, right? Especially you young married people out there, me and Sarah included. Uh, Find people who have walked through the highs and the lows together and then just go observe them, right? How did they handle difficult decisions when maybe they weren't in agreement on a decision? What did that process look like? How did they handle tensions in their home or arguments against one another? What did it look like to forgive your spouse even when maybe they weren't asking for forgiveness, right? Latch on to those spiritual mentors and learn from them as you seek to find or as you seek to live out this missional purpose for your marriage. And if you don't know where to start, the great thing here at RFBC is that we have a lot of ways for you to get plugged in and to meet other people who can help disciple you as well. We have life group throughout the year. Uh, ladies, come to Renew Ministry, right? Get, get plugged in with, with other ladies that are there on Sunday nights. For you future marrieds, those of you that are in crags, right? Like, learn from your crags leaders. What does it look like to, to operate with a missional marriage in focus? And then over the summer, we're about to start Summer Family Fellowship. Just come and find a couple and just talk. Share life together, hear their story, and compare your story with them, right? Seek wisdom in those things. And as you grow together, let me just offer one more uh, recommendation. Read a book together. Now, I know, right, some of us got out of high school, and we haven't picked up a book since. Like, some of us are really passionate about not wanting to read. That's okay, they make audiobooks. It's really convenient, Right? You can listen to somebody else read on your commute or when you're mowing the, uh, the grass or when you're doing chores around the house and pick a book with your spouse and just go through it together. doesn't have to be like one every month. Just try like one this year and just see what happens in your marriage. See how the two of you grow together as you seek the Lord together. And if you're looking for a book recommendation, please come ask me, come ask one of the elders. We have so many books that we have read, right, as we have trained and we would love to recommend to you. With equipping, though, what we see in Priscilla and Aquila is that God doesn't just equip and then kind of leave you, right? God's equipping of your marriage is always for a purpose, and that's to be discipling those around you, those that he leads you to. And so that's exactly what we see next in the life of Priscilla and Aquila. Still in Acts chapter 18, but a few verses down, starting in verse 18, We see Luke recording this. So Paul still remained a good while, and then he took leave of the brethren, and he sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Sincrea, for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them, left Priscilla and Aquila there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So what we see is Priscilla and Aquila, their life has been changed by this missional focus and by welcoming Paul into their lives. And when he leaves following the Holy Spirit's uh, direction, they leave too, 
right? They want to be a part of this mission that God has called Paul to be on. And so Paul says, come on. And they go to Ephesus and Paul is called elsewhere, but he leaves Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. I want you to watch how God uses this couple in this pagan city. In Ephesus, verses 24 and 25, we see now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. We can pause right there and, and maybe you're confused. Like He only knows the baptism of John. What does that mean? Well, John spoke, he preached a baptism of repentance. Repent because the kingdom of heaven is coming. Evidently, Apollos did not know the gospel of Jesus. He didn't know that Jesus had come in the flesh, that he had died for our sins, that he was buried and rose again three days later and has offered salvation for anyone who believes in him. And so what did Priscilla and Aquila do? They like sit in the back of the synagogue and make fun about like, you know, man, Apollos doesn't really know what he's talking about. Or, you know, do they, do they stand up and confront him right in front of everybody else in order to just humiliate him and, and make themselves look really smart? No. Instead, what we see is this. So he, Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. They got to share the gospel story with this man that was on fire for God. And look what happens. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. He is sent out on mission. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So Priscilla and Aquila take this man in, again, opening up their home, right? They take him aside, they teach him the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they equip him, and how does God use him? Now we have another asset for the kingdom of heaven, traveling throughout the known world, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, but it starts because Priscilla and Aquila were living a life, a marriage on mission. And so what we can say from their time in Ephesus, we could sum it up with this word, discipling. Priscilla and Aquila were committed to discipling those who wanted to seek, those who were seekers who wanted to learn what it meant to love and live like Jesus. And they found them and they worked with them. And the kingdom of God benefited greatly because of their work. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul has come back to Ephesus and he's, he's staying there for a while and he's writing this letter to the church in Corinth. And we get to see a really neat picture of what Ephesus was, would have looked like for Paul. In verses 8 and 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul writes to Corinth, he says, But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So after Paul had left Ephesus, he continued his missionary journeys. He comes back to Ephesus. He stays for over two years. And this is how he's describing the scene in Ephesus. A great and effective door has opened to me. And you just think, well, geez, I wonder what happened in Ephesus while he was gone. Scripture doesn't leave us to wonder because verse 19, look what he says. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila 
and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. What have they been doing in Ephesus? They've been hosting a church. They've opened up their home for church to equip those believers in Ephesus to reach out to a pagan city under persecution. And if you read, read the book of Acts, you know Ephesus was not shy about persecuting believers. And yet they opened their home anyway. And they discipled those that are around them. And so what we can say for us from this example in Ephesus, this is a calling for you and I to demonstrate hospitality with our lives as well. Now, I know when we say hospitality, we immediately think of our homes. Now, maybe that is exciting to you. Maybe you feel really nervous about that, right? Being in our county, this is a pretty large county. We're really spread out. Some of you may live in places where it's just not feasible to have somebody in your home every single week because you live so far away. Or if we're honest, maybe some of us just are a little self-conscious about the size of our home. Or maybe, you know, we could use like a good cleaning of our home before we had people in. That's okay. Uh, The idea here is that we could create a space for hospitality somewhere. And so I, I would just take this opportunity to plug Ken Cafe, right? Wonderful coffee shop and, and such a good place to open up a space for hospitality with whoever you're meeting with. We have studies from members in this church that meet at Ken Cafe and they talk and they share about life together. That's the idea, right? Invite somebody and buy them a coffee. Have that attitude, that air of hospitality about you as you welcome them into whatever environment you're meeting them in. Always, of course, with the goal of opening your home as well, because there really is nothing like the impact of a meal shared together over a dinner table in the home. I mean, just think how many conversations had to take place from the time of the apostles, from the time of Jesus in Jerusalem, up until now in people's homes, over the dinner table for the gospel of Jesus to reach from Jerusalem to Robbinsville. I mean, hospitality is a wonderful tool for the kingdom of heaven. It's one of our greatest tools for discipleship. And based on how scripture portrays Priscilla and Aquila and how they viewed their home, we see that this couple understood the value of hospitality and of opening their home up to other people. But we also know that any marriage that is living on mission for God is going to face conflict. Really, any marriage at all is going to have highs and lows. And this next snapshot that we see of Priscilla and Aquila is potentially one of the lows. This is a time that that could have been very difficult for them. And we see this in Romans chapter 16. In Romans 16, at the end of this letter, Paul is greeting these different people that he knows in Rome. And he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. So apparently, after Claudius uh, was succeeded by Nero as emperor of Rome, he lifted the ban that Claudius had about Jews coming into Rome. And apparently, Priscilla and Aquila took that, and they went back to Rome. And can you just put yourself in that story, in that environment? What would that have felt like? for Priscilla and Aquila. I mean, they were expelled from Rome on on grounds of racism and prejudice, right? They were Jews, and the Romans didn't want Jews in their city. 
And then after several years, they come back. They step back into this area where they have experienced persecution, where they have experienced racism, and they come back in to do what? To plant a church, or at least to open their doors in their home for this church in Rome. You see, apparently Priscilla and Aquila refused to let the prejudice impact how they would reach the community around them that the Lord had placed them in. What's really fun about Romans 16 is that we see they weren't focused just on the Jews that were in Rome. They had a heart for the Gentiles in the church as well. The very people that would have, that they would have experienced hurt and racism and prejudice at the hands of these Gentiles and they're opening up their homes. They have a a heart to reach the Gentiles for Christ. So when we look at Rome, we could sum it up with this one word, enduring. Paul talks about Priscilla and Aquila risking their necks, literally risking their lives for Paul's sake. And we don't know what that looks like. It could have been in Ephesus when Paul was there, uh, when he had come back around and there was a huge riot. Priscilla and Aquila might have risked their lives then, or it could have been somehow connected with Rome. But no matter what that looked like, what we know is this, that Priscilla and Aquila saw where their marriage on mission intersected with danger that threatened their life and they chose to pursue the mission anyway for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. And now in Rome again, what we see them doing is what they've always been doing, right? Hosting a church, discipling those around them, equipping the body of Christ out of this love for Jesus. And so we can look at Rome, we can look at their example of endurance and we can just say the challenge for us is to devote your life to this mission as well, to the the mission of spreading the gospel of Jesus to those around you. We can use the example of Priscilla and Aquila as motivation to devote our lives to the mission that God has set for us in our marriages. It means we will have to endure crises together, right? And and depending on your marriage, maybe you have walked through the loss of a loved one, or maybe you've experienced financial catastrophe, or even persecution, The reality is the enemy wants to use these things to divide you from your spouse because the enemy understands how powerful a marriage lived on mission can be. And he seeks to prevent that at all costs, but praise be to God because we are overcomers through Jesus and the blood that he shed for us. And for those of you who are married, you've got a spouse to walk through these difficult seasons with you. And for those of you here at RFBC, you also have a church family that wants to share that burden with you, to walk alongside you in the lows that come in your marriage. We are committed to helping you and to sharing those things with you. And through the endurance, keep your eyes at the finish line. What what do you want to be true of you 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, as you look back on your marriage, what, how, how do you want to sum it up? How would you want God to describe your marriage? One of the big motivating uh, points for you to, fin- to, to run your race well, to live this marriage on mission well, is to keep an eye on finishing well. That's what we see in 2 Timothy chapter 4. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes this. Greet Prisca, that's just shorthand for Priscilla, and Aquila, and the household of Onesiphorus. There's not a lot there, but it helps if you know the context of 2 Timothy. So apparently, so he's writing to to Timothy, Paul is, 
and Timothy is in Ephesus. So apparently Priscilla and Aquila have moved back to Ephesus and we don't know what caused them to move. Maybe it was just that, you know, they're tent makers and they went where the business was. But we do know a decent amount about Nero. We know why a lot of people would have left Rome. What things had Priscilla and Aquila endured to get to this point? And now they're back in Ephesus and regardless of the circumstances that brought them there, what do we see? They're still active. They're still serving the Lord in the context where the Lord has called them. And so we can look at Ephesus for the second time and we can sum it up with completing. They are completing the mission that God has given them. They're not the only ones completing a mission here though because this is at the end of Paul's ministry. This is the last letter that he pins. And in his final letter, towards the final verses of this letter, Paul again mentions this special couple. Priscilla and Aquila had played an instrumental role in allowing Paul to say that he had run his race well, that he had finished his race. And now from, the word, from, from what the word provides us about Priscilla and Aquila, we can safely say that they were on that path as well. Some 16 to 17 years after Paul first stayed with them in Corinth, we see this couple still serving the Lord. In whatever context, no matter the seasons, no matter the circumstances that have come and changed their lives, they are still committed to this missional marriage. And so our final point today, we can take this example from Priscilla and Aquila and we can see that the challenge for us is simply to delight in Jesus. The only way to live a life and to live a marriage on mission to the finish line, to do it well, the way that Priscilla and Aquila did is to live it captivated by our Savior. As I've thought about this principle, I've searched for an illustration for, for what really would, would give us a good picture of what this is to look like, what attitude we're supposed to have here. I've come across dancing. Now, I'm not talking about the way that like prom dances go where everybody like stands in a circle and jumps up and down. All right, that's not... I'm talking about like an actual dance between a couple that, that is hard to, to execute, right? When those types of dances are done well, man, they're beautiful to watch. Now, if you know me, I could never be a part of one of those. I can't dance whatsoever. I have no rhythm. I can't feel a beat. I didn't even know there was a beat for a long time. I think I got to college and somebody was like, oh yeah, listen to this beat. So anyway, I'm not the guy to take dancing lessons from. When I try to dance, instead of like feeling the music, whatever that means, uh, I'm sitting there thinking about the checklist, like which part of my body do I need to move when, right? And by the time I've gone through that checklist, the music's already changed. That is a very stressful four minutes for me as I make dancing into a checklist. But a dance can be a special picture of how in sync two people really are. A dance like this is most commonly seen at a marriage ceremony. After the couple is pronounced as husband and wife and, and they enter back into the reception, they dance. It, it's the couple's first dance, each with different roles in the dance, but coming together to contribute to the overall harmony and the beauty of that dance together. That type of dance, it requires trust. It requires communication and coordination of the couple with where they're to move when. It requires practice and determination to get the dance right. And yet, even if you've got all the moves right, the thing that sets a dance apart isn't the dance moves by themselves. 
I mean, if you think about it, when you leave this morning to go to lunch, and if you see somebody walking down the sidewalk downtown, and they're moving their body in all sorts of ways, you're not thinking they're dancing. You think they've put something into their body, right? Are you with me? It's not the movements that make the dance beautiful. It's the music that they're dancing to. And so if, in our analogy, if marriage is the dance, then the music is Christ. And the picture is that we would allow his rhythm, his beat, to direct where we go. That in unison with him, we dance together. And so if you hear nothing else this morning, I hope you hear this. That this life, this marriage on mission is not about you doing more. This is not about you measuring up to some standard that we sit here and and preach at you every week. My plea is that you don't come away from this message or this series with this, this thought like, man, I just need to be doing more for Jesus. That's not our aim. Just like a dance is never meant to be a checklist of motions. Your relationship with Jesus is not some measuring stick to see, man, if you've measured up today. He is not concerned primarily about you doing for him, but about you abiding with him. The music comes in the abiding. The dance is a result of the abiding. A marriage on mission is about loving your Savior together, pursuing him through your marriage and inviting others along in that process. And the best way that you can do that is through the context of your local church community. As we look back at the marriage of Priscilla and Aquila, there's one thing that stands out to anybody who's ever preached on these or studied this couple. It's that every time one of them is mentioned, so is the other one. These two, this husband and wife, exemplify what it looks like to be together in your marriage. They work together, they serve together, They learned together and suffered together. They risked their lives for the gospel together. And together, they left a lasting impact for the kingdom of heaven. Theirs truly was a kingdom marriage. The good news for us is that yours and mine can be as well. With impacts that start first and foremost in our home with our children and then spread out to the community around us. I want to close with a thought. When a newlywed couple finishes that first dance, and you know, you might have like the daddy-daughter dance and the mother and son dance, but when those dances finish, what happens next? What's everybody else do? They hit the dance floor, right? Unless you're me. But like they come onto the dance floor and they dance too. Because as they watch the dance take place, this beautiful, inviting, fun atmosphere, this, this dance. Everybody gets sucked in and they want to be a part of this as well. That's the idea of a marriage on mission. That's what you and I have been called to as husbands and wives. That's the picture that God is painting. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for marriage, this gift that you have given us, a gift like like nothing else. God, at the same time, we recognize how hurt people are from failed marriages, from broken marriages. Lord, this is a a subject that evokes a lot of emotions in a lot of people. God, I pray that you would allow us to see your truth, 
see through the culture, see through the chaos, see through even our felt hurts that have come from marriages that have fallen short and that we would just see your grace and your love and your design for marriage. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that exemplifies what it looks like to live a marriage on mission rooted in our love for Jesus, letting him set the music, letting him lead and guide us. And Father, I pray that you would use this church to equip the the county around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were encouraged by the teaching of God's Word. If you have questions or would like more information about our church, you can find us at www.robbinsvillefbc.org or call the office at 828-479-3423. God bless you and have a great day.